Hello, and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Friedrich, and today I'm honored to have Brian Covey with me. Brian is a top podcaster and author. He's also the VP of Lone Depot. And as we learn his story today, one of the things that really stood out to me is how throughout his life, he's had learning opportunities and how he's applied it to get to the next level. So Brian, thanks so much for being on today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Phil. This will be a good conversation and things that I think we can probably all relate to in our stories that connect us a lot. Yes. Your story, much like other people that have older siblings, starts with finding a love for a sport because you had an older brother that played it. So talk a little bit about growing up, having an older brother, and maybe the uh, competition that gets brought out of us. Oh, yeah, I love it. So I was born in the 70s, and right before Elvis died, I everybody that because I was born in Memphis, so it's this nice little connection point of when that happened. And my brother was five years older. So as the younger sibling, I remember like going to church and like going to his soccer games was really where it all started for me of seeing yeah. my dad volunteering coach. We had another very successful coach there. People that know soccer would know Kyle Rote Jr. Played with Pele and you know yeah. one of the greats. So he happened to be in Memphis and I would just go around and chasing them, right? Because like while your brother's playing on the field, you're the younger sibling running around on the playground. You're playing with them. Like my dream was to get out there with the big boys. Like I just yeah. want to play with them. Even though I wasn't ready, they would run me over. They were always nice and invited me in, but I always enjoyed that. And that was really where I found my love of the sport is like my brother played. I had great coaches around. I enjoyed being outside. Like as a boy, you're like, man, I'm in the dirt, I'm kicking a ball. I'm running. <laughs> I'm sweating. All of that. Well, fast forward, you know, I went through a really interesting transition. I actually talked about this last week with a friend and a coach of mine that was in Memphis. And I was an overweight kid at 10 to probably 12, 13 years old, honestly, like very overweight, meaning like 40, 50 pounds. Yeah. But I was still a good athlete. So I was able to mm -hmm. cover it up. I would wear two t-shirts, like all this, but I knew I wasn't healthy. And I had yeah. this intervention from our basketball coach and he came in, he's like, you, you can't keep going this way. Your cholesterol, your, your everything, your blood pressure is just, it's not going to be good. Wow. And so at that point I call it, it was a real pivotal moment in my life of, I realized I need to make a change in my life. And so I started running every morning at like 5 a.m., losing weight. Well, that led me to make the U.S. national team, the U-17, got to play on the Olympic team a little bit. And, yeah. and it was a success catalyst. And that really just reinforced my love of the game. I got to go play D1 and then even play a little bit professionally. I still play, coach my kids, love going to games. It is like, it's just who we are now. Yeah. And I say that that was birthed as a toddler, you know, just barely yeah. able to walk. And you never know the impact you're making on people as a coach, as a parent, or even as a sibling, right? That they mm -hmm. will later use that as really a catalyst and a platform for me that I, I use lessons from sports in life, business, building teams, and really how we, we operate as a family. Yeah. Now, as you mentioned that, it made me think of this, and that is, you know, those early teen years and into teenage years, are tough times to find confidence. And it's very common that if you start excelling at some athletic endeavor, that that is what drives your confidence. Talk about losing the weight, growing confidence, and having, in my opinion, having some of that come from something that is, you know, externally focused with sports. So I go back to my dad's a psychologist, right? So I, I'll say I had a little bit of an advantage on things like visualization, understanding, like, emotional intelligence and things. Yeah. But I look back to that now and 
And you're right. The confidence piece is I learned, I told you how to create confidence. And I think we all have that opportunity in our life is confidence isn't given to you. It's not something that you can manufacture falsely. It's Mm. not something you've had. You have to earn it. Yeah. And so what I look back, is like, I earned my first real experience with confidence. One playing as a youth, but then going through this and looking and going, man, I got to lose like 40 pounds. And I did it. I stuck with something, changed my diet, woke up early when my friends were out partying, when my friends were out doing things together, they'll tell you, like, I was the one that I'd go put in the extra work. I would put in the extra reps. And so I built that confidence muscle at an early age, which came back to help me because Mm -hmm. there have been setbacks in my life, not only from losing my job to the market consolidation, 2008, getting cut from sports teams earlier. Like all of those things, when you can create confidence, what's great about it, you can repeat it. Mm. And so what I knew was one, I had to have ownership of what was happening in my life. I was the one and the only one that chose to eat that didn't take care of my health, wasn't doing what was required. Okay. So a change is required. Yeah. And that part two is then what am I willing to give up or change out? Cause in all of our life, you're going to have to swap something out to replace it. Right. And I remember very specifically, I gave up eating a lot of high cholesterol pizza, you know, the bacon at the Shoney's breakfast buffet and all that. And I went to whole grain and turkey and chicken and Mm. I swapped something out. And so I I look at that. The part three is identifying then who did I want to be? Well, Mm. as an athlete, I wanted to be somebody that looked fit, was fit, played at the highest levels. Like what, what 13 year old boy doesn't want to win? Like, you know, you have that inside of you. Some one of us, I will say I'm built different. I recognize that I want to win my competitive drive is more than the average. I get that. <laughs> but I looked at those three steps and realized, wow, I could create that again. And there's been other times in my life that I could repeat that because I could go back and go, okay, what did I do? Mm-hmm. I had to have the discipline and commitment. I had to give up something for something better. I had yeah. to change my behavior and I owned it. Yeah. That's the cycle. And we, the beauty of it is we can all do it, Phil, right? Like we can all yep. do that. And we probably are aware in areas of our life today that we need to do it. And we're the only ones holding us back from it. Yeah, I, I love that you say there the ownership part, right? There's power in owning up to something. The other thing that I think is interesting, we'd love to highlight is the the conversation that happened between you and that coach, right? I mean, how easy for a coach at you know 10, 11, 12 years old to not even say anything, right? Like, hey, he's 10, 11, 12, like kid'll figure it out, right? Or, you know, hey, that's more of a parent conversation. But you know, the courage that it takes to have some of those probably uncomfortable conversations. This is where like, I take today's world, right? A little more modern. Like if you're on social media or you're around friends and you're out networking and stuff, people may say ugly things to you, right? Like things that you're like, man, that was really wrong. Whatever it is you're wearing, how you look, how you speak, how, how you show up to places, whatever it is, even your content you post. Yeah. The reality is there is some truth typically in, in what people will call their haters or people that they would call me, you know, pizza boy or, Hey man, you're so fat or whatever. I'd wear two shirts. Like mm. deep down, I knew there was something in there, not as much as they were trying to hurt me with, but I go, right. yeah, you know what? I do want to be more fit. I do want to be able to do this. I would like to be healthier. And that could even be in your sales life or your marriage life or your wherever you recognize those areas that improve. So I'd say the ownership is even when people say things that are negative towards you, can you turn that negative into fuel? And I was able to do that throughout my careers. I wasn't the tallest and I played goalkeeper through college and professionally, and I wasn't six feet tall, right under six feet. I was not the prototypical and people would always, even from the fans and the other stands, make fun of that. 
they would try to call me out. And I'm like, okay, well, if I can't change that, what can I change? Yeah. I can change how good I am with my, my ball skills. I can change how quick I am, what my agility, my speed, how I read the game. I would study tape. I became as, as great as I could in all the other areas because I'm not changing that part, right? It's kind of like, yeah. I'm not changing how I look today for the most yeah. part, like maybe lose some weight, cut my hair, <laughs> whatever, but I am who I am. How do I yeah. own that and pull out all of my, my greatness? It's up to yeah. me. Well, I, I love that you highlight that because, you know, as Steph Curry just won, you know, another championship, right? Uh, I always love to go back and read the draft analysis on Steph Curry. And the beautiful thing about it is there's nothing on there that's false. You know, they say he's undersized for a guard. He's not a phenomenal defender, so he'll probably struggle to guard people in the NBA. And, you know, he's, he's a good shooter, but, you know, with his, with him being a bit smaller, may not ever be a great shooter. It's like, those are all fair, you know, things from the outside to look at and say, yeah, that's possibly true. But to your point, Steph has just mastered his craft, right? He's shot the ball way more times than anyone else in the NBA. And he's figured out how to do it from further back than anyone's ever done it, right? And so he takes some of those weaknesses and figures out how can I maximize my productivity, even though that weakness is still there. I love that story. And for all of us, like people will say things, we have our own limiting beliefs on this. And I look back to that and go, well, if I was able to make it that far and not be just like they would say, like, these are all true facts. Like I, I am not the size of the typical right. goalkeeper that plays. And I probably, yes, I was fast and I was fit and I was good with my foot skills, but I wouldn't put myself as the top in any category. But I, I, I relate to Steph a lot because the work I see him outside the gym. And I remember yeah. I would kick against our brick wall at our house, 100, 200, 300 times, catch, 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 and just punting off a wall if you're willing to do the unrequired and that extra work, it's yep. amazing what, what life will reward you with opportunity and you'll actually become successful. You know, by the way, when you get good at stuff, it's really fun, right? Like <laughs> that, that's when you go, wow, I'm actually good at this because I put the reps. in. Yeah, that's so good. So as you continue to progress, like you said, you got to play on the US 17 team and then going into college, Talk about making that jump, uh, you know, from high school athletics to college athletics. At the end of the day, it's just different when you go from, you know, 17 year olds to 14 year olds and uh, 18 to sometimes 24, 25 year olds. Right. There's some guys that are doing, you know, some victory laps out there. So talk about making that jump, um, not only from the athletic standpoint, but also from the mental standpoint. So here's the best lesson I go back to now is. When you're around people that have achieved a level of success that you've had, or you're around people that are faster than you or better at something, whatever it is than you, you typically learn from them, right? Like you mm. pick up, okay, well, what's Phil do? What, what, how did he do that? And you start to relate that to what you can do. Well, I was fortunate. Our club coach through soccer actually had a college team there locally. And so from 14, 15, 16, I was actually training with college level athletes before I was even ready. And let's be yeah. real. When they shot the ball, it was a lot harder. They were faster. Yeah. They were bigger. They were strong, like everything. But what that allowed me to do when I went and trained with my age and my team is it gave me an advantage. Yeah. And so college for me was not as big a jump because I believe the coaches around me, the mentors around me, the work I had done, mm -hmm. the sacrifices I had made at times to say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to go over there. I'm going to go train with the college team. And I might get yeah. my butt totally kicked today. Like I might get scored on left and right. They might laugh at me, whatever. But I knew I was going to get better and prove myself. And so my transition to college was a little different than most because yeah. 
I think it's like in life, if you start putting in the work before you're ready and really put yourself, people call it the comfort zone, but it's just putting yourself in an unfamiliar territory, an unfamiliar environment to go, maybe I don't have all the skills. Maybe, maybe I'm not fast enough. Maybe I don't understand this part of the industry or trends yet, but how can I learn it? Yeah. Well, it's surely not sitting on the sidelines hoping. It's actually not even really watching it on TV going, wow, I'm going to watch soccer today. So tomorrow I'm going to be better. Right. No, no, like that's a part of it. But the 80% of going on the field and showing up, that helped me. I was able to start my freshman year. We set all kinds of records. I remember we went five and oh to start. We had five shutouts, like all the all these like super cool things where I'm even going, is this real? Like, yeah, this should not be happening. And sure enough, you know, we got we got our you know kind of day of reckoning. We started to play teams and we started to like realize, okay, we're not un. Uh, we're going to go undefeated, Yeah. but first time the college had been in several years back in top 25 and all that. But I look at what did I do that made me different than the other players that were competing? Well, it was the preparation for years in a much more difficult environment that when I stepped in there, I was ready, right? I was, I was as yeah. ready as I could be. Yes. Now, Thinking about that, and you know, I want to highlight it in the scope of life, right? Uh, you know, we're talking about it in, with sports, and that's the amazing thing about sports is you can learn a lot of life lessons without really being in too dire of a situation, right? It's still a sport at the end of the day. But you talked about doing the things that other people weren't willing to do, so you could have the opportunity other people weren't probably going to get. Now, when you look at that taking it out of sports, it might be the person that says, Hey, I want to become vice president of the company, or, Hey, it could be the significant other that, you know, wants to be better for their spouse. I mean, whatever it is, but it's doing the things that are to your point unrequired. So talk just about that, maybe in a broader scope than just, you know, soccer. So I look at this year and I'll give you three real examples this year is I've been in the game for 20 years with mortgage and real estate. I understand a lot of moving pieces, I had a mentor of mine last year and we were kind of talking through like tax strategy and investing and all this and just looking at the trends, right? So I started to study some things differently, started to read some different articles, started to surround myself with a different network. And this year, you know, that mentor, they challenged me, you need to go buy this investment property. Well, I wasn't ready. Like in my mind, like financially, I was ready. I had studied things. And he's like, what's it going to take for you to be ready? Mm. I, I didn't have an answer. Yeah. I was like, um, well, I man, I need to put down the down payment. I need to I need to find the right properties. Like, but you've already found the properties. You said you already had an agent. They found the properties. And so I pulled the trigger and it turned out wonderful. Well, rinse and repeat the cycle, right? Success leaves clues for us. So what I realized is, okay, that was easier than I thought. I have some mm. confidence. I understand this. So I went and repeated that again. And I said, okay, I kind of see where the stock market's going. I see what's happening in real life. And I realized for myself, there's times that we need to take those risks that we don't feel like we're worthy or ready. Like that's, mm. that was what was holding me back. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like, I'm not telling anybody to go buy investment properties if you're not ready and don't have your, your financial house in order. But what yeah. I'm saying is for many people, it's the fear of loss or fear of things that we just hold ourselves back before we put ourselves out there. And so what I did by going to these networking events is I exposed myself to people, coaches, and people further along in this journey than me. And I asked the mm. questions of, what's the downside? What's, what's the worst that's happened to you through this? Would you do this if you were me? What would you do if you were in my shoes? What I found is you start to build this collective group around you of wisdom. Yeah. And in life, a lot of people aren't ready to do that. And, and they, they don't want to step out. It's almost the fear of success in a way of like, well, if I do this and it goes well, mm. well now what? 
Yeah. Now I don't have any excuses. Now I can't complain about my life. Now I can't say how hard things are because they're not that hard when you take action. They're really hard sitting on the sideline, mm-hmm. I have found. The other I would tell you is I reframed my brain through the last pandemic here of not being to see people in person. This was a huge yeah. shift for me. And I had to yeah. reverse my paradigm in life of you can actually build relationships. You think about some of your best friends from high school. Like there's guys I haven't seen in five, 10 years. Yeah. Well, we have a relationship. If I, if I were to see them today, I'm not thinking about the five or 10 years that we missed. I want to catch up on it. Yep. Thinking about the bond we formed. And I think today, one of the biggest shifts I made, I wasn't ready to be in social media, build a personal brand, get on video, do all that stuff. But I started a few years ago, completely yeah. sucked at it, didn't know what I was doing and just said, you know what? I believe this is where things are going. So I'm going to go there. Well, that's been the catalyst for my brand, speaking events, writing the book but also recruiting my core business is attracting great loan officers, great leaders and building a high performing team. Well, when all that happened, everything shut down. Had I not done the work, the unrequired, man, people would have been leaving, joining other organizations. We would have stopped recruiting. I would have been sitting on the sideline going, yeah, guys, it's just really hard out there. Really hard. I can't find to meet people. I got an excuse, right? Like I got, I got an out. I've just decided I want to live a life of no excuses. Like there's Mm -hmm. regrets I have and things I wish I could have done different, but I want to live a life of no excuses, meaning that I show up and I give it my best in that day. And yeah. I realize, you know, the work I put in today, it, it does have a payoff. I believe hard work does pay off. So yes. I show up that way. That's great. So we're graduating from college and we, we take our first job and you say, well, after playing some professional soccer, and as you look back on the job, you say, Probably not a, a career job, but I learned a lot of good uh, sales skills here. So talk about that first job and what prompted you to grab onto that. Uh, for anybody that, you know, you get your first job and a lot of people have this glamorous idea, like you're gonna be driving the nice car, suited up, looking great, whatever, whatever it looks like for you. You probably have that ideal job that you're like, man, I'm going to show up to the country club over here and it's just going to be amazing, right? Like I've heard people have that. Um, that was not mine. I, I could not get hired because my experience was coaching, playing soccer. Um, a little bit of when I was injured, I had sold clothes at a clothing company, like a men's clothing company. So I had some sales skills, but very basic. Well, I go to this career fair at school and I thought, well, I'm going to just see what happens. Like I'm going to go meet people. I kind of figured out in my own, I liked finance. I liked people. I liked housing. There was something about when people built a house, I would always like, be the person that would drive by and stop and look at how a house was built, even though I can't build one myself. I just knew <laughs> I was like, this is still really cool. Yeah. Well, a financial company, Wells Fargo Financial, who, if you've ever seen the commercials of like 0% payments, 0% financing on furniture, they were hiring. Well, I quickly came to realize the reason they were hiring is high turnover, high stress job of we would call everyone that had gotten approved for their furniture. And we would try to cross sell them credit cards, auto loans, maybe debt consolidation with their mortgage involved. And I worked in a strip center, super glamorous next to a basically kind of, um, I would say like an Asian buffet kind of place, like a Chinese buffet place and a pizza place. So super healthy options, driving almost an hour each way. And I remember showing up, I'm like, I don't really know what I'm doing. And they're asking you to make calls. And, and I'm in my mid twenties going, I'm calling people that are double my age, significantly more money than I've ever seen, much more educated. And I've got to try to get them to come in the office or sell them on something. 
Yeah. So the reps, I will just say, we had to make calls every day, 50 to 100 calls, and you're just pounding the phones, pounding the phones. But I will say learning the reps, learning credit income assets, and having a great mentor, mm. the advice I would give anyone and why I share that is when you take your first job, it is going to be really a framework for how you view work and a career. Yeah. And I realized while that might not be the job, there were things that I loved about it and there were things I didn't like about it. And so about a year and a half later, I got promoted. I moved out as my friends were starting to buy houses. And I said, you know what? I love the part about people buying a house, not refinancing, not getting furniture, auto loans and such. My wife and I at the time, we were engaged. We were buying our first house. And I realized there weren't many people out there my age that I could relate to that all my friends were asking me at church and sports, like, how do I buy a house? Do I qualify? Like, what should I buy? Where? I could help solve a problem and actually knew something about credit income assets. Yeah. So I transferred to the other side, got into mortgage. And from there has uh, really been the catalyst for my career of starting to, to understand that side of the business. And I've, I've just almost like soccer. I've fallen in love with the American dream. I remember buying our first house, 2002, 7% interest rate. We were renting in a small apartment and I was just over the moon excited. So anybody out there looking to buy a house and you're like, man, rates are high. Yeah, we bought it seven with an employee loan. Yep. And we had moved out of an apartment that we were renting for about 1100 a month. And our mortgage payment was about the same. But I knew and I believed the only way to really generate wealth was to buy a house. And so I've carried that mission, kind of mission and message on now and try to share that with people. It's become really kind of a foundation for why I do what I do is be able to teach people that may not know that or their families never experienced it. And, you know, I'm still learning that side of the game as well. Like, how do you build generational wealth through investing in multiple properties now? So kind of just layering and learning. Mm -hmm. Now, you've mentioned this a couple of times, so I'd be remiss if I didn't at least highlight it. And that is, you know, this idea of feedback from people that you respect, admire, uh, mentors. Now, I think sometimes people will listen to every comment that comes into their head, and that's that's probably worse than getting no comments coming through. Uh, but th surrounding yourself with people that you truly respect and maybe are subject matter experts in the area you're trying to be, you know, gain knowledge in. Talk about that process for you and how you kind of go through allowing a person to become a mentor for you or how you go about approaching someone. All right. They do know what they're talking about. I want to learn from that. Oh, I love that. So one of our core values we've shared with our team and, and I had to learn this through cycles of building teams, successfully and unsuccessfully, like when there was tension or there was just teams that didn't perform, they were disjointed, is one of our core values is coachability. Mm. Are you coachable? And what I realized for me, there's certain things that I, I know I will, I will do better and people around me will do better as well. And coachability from a young kid all the way through, I've, I've been able to take tough criticism and feedback. And, and that's okay for me. It still hurts. Like all of us that go, oh, I can just take anything. There's sometimes that feedback, it stings because you know it's true typically. Right. You know you could be doing better and you know you're the one that's holding you back. Yeah. And so what I would share, I invested early in my career. There's a guy named Todd Duncan. He's still in the business now. And, you know, we used to buy the old CDs, right? And they would send out the CDs every month. And I was the student and I would print out guidelines. I would listen to the CDs. And I would ask our manager at the time, hey, can I teach on some of this at the next sales meeting? Can I share what I'm learning? And I was an early adopter. So I put that early adopter with my coachability and I would adopt new technology. I would adopt new products and programs that rolled out to us. I would go study them, understand them. And I would just get in the game and start talking about them. 
that's how I would learn. It's like, well, it's one thing to read a program guideline, but then to go solve a problem for a customer. Anybody that's in sales listening to this, it's like, your job is to solve people's problems. The bigger the problems, the more people will pay you. Yep. And what I realized was, well, if I could learn products and programs and I could help people solve real problems and give them expert advice, well, they would refer more people to me. And that was an early lesson. And so every week I would start going through these CDs and I would start sharing them and I would start learning. And throughout my career, the one I would say regret, honestly, is that I didn't invest more in myself. Mm. And I've kind of landed lately and I'll just put it out there as kind of like a, a stakeholder is I put 10% the other day. I went back in my biggest seasons of growth. And when I invested that 10% or more of my income back in myself, networking events, coaches, mentors, things that were really about myself, my brand, all of that, growth happened, mm. like real growth. When I was under that and I played small and I'm like, I'm investing a few hundred dollars here, a few hundred dollars there, I didn't grow. And I looked at those seasons of like, when did I really grow? I think everybody listening needs to get honest with yourself because the reality is until you're willing to invest in yourself, how do you expect anybody to invest in you? Honestly. Yeah. When I started putting money in myself, mentors showed up left and right. People saw that I was serious. And so you feel that's what I would say to anyone. When you start investing in you and people see the dollars behind it and the time and the commitment, oh boy, the game changes. Yeah, that's good. Now, as you're progressing in the mortgage industry, eventually you go from really, I guess, facilitating mortgages to managing the team members that are facilitating mortgages. Now, there are certain people that are cut out for that. There are certain times that companies just say, well, you're really good at this, so you should manage people. And it's like, well, this is a dumpster fire waiting to happen. So how, how did that come to be? And you know, how did somebody one day decide, you know what, Brian, I think this is good, or maybe you brought the idea to them? So our industry has been known for promote the top producer, right? Because they're going to yeah. figure it all out. They're going to teach everybody their way. Parts of that were good. Yeah. The only real leadership training I had as I look back before I got promoted was I was captain with our, our college team, our club team. And also I had some leadership experience of leading a, a sports team. Well, leading that sports team, to leading a team in the business world that people are much older than you, different diverse backgrounds that you haven't dealt with in business before, where you're now having to manage expectations and performance. I had to learn. So I went through all the Myers-Briggs, the 360 feedback, disc profiles. Again, I was fortunate in my dad being a psychologist There's certain tests. And I'm like, I went on this journey of like, who is Brian as a leader? Mm. You know, and the hard part is if you don't have great leaders around you, you'll pull this from this one, this from this one. And you're like, but I didn't have clarity. This was, this was a missing, a real missing structure for me. I didn't know who I wanted to be as a leader. Yeah. I could look at other leaders and go, I like what they do. I don't like what they do over there. And that was the part for me that I really struggled for a few years of like the teams didn't grow and build. I was able to build them, but, but the reality was like I was doing it because I could produce and I could teach people how to produce, but I wasn't building like what we're building now, like multi-billion dollar team, like all of like, it, it did not scale. And so everybody out there, if you're a newer leader, just know typically the people you see like 20 years later, we start to figure things out. So if I could give you any insider advice, it would be, get really clear on what success looks like and who you want to be as a leader, because that's going to attract people or repel people. And the problem I had was I was just wanting to attract everybody. Like if you produced, welcome to the team, come on in. 
we had no core values. We didn't really have any criteria for who we were hiring. Mm. I didn't even know, like, why did Phil perform? And then Brian over there on the team, why didn't Brian work out? They're both producers. So that journey really was a catalyst. I remember going for a particular promotion. So I've been a leader for about five years and I thought, well, I'm ready for the next level, right? I'm ready. I go to what it's like the, uh, remember the old, uh, what was the Donald Trump show? The Apprentice. Yeah. Okay. So imagine walking into the boardroom and you got like six people sitting around the board table and they're drilling you HR leaders, peer leaders, corporate people. I didn't get the job. I'll just tell you. Um, but what I learned that day is they asked me a lot of questions I wasn't clear on. Mm. And again, if I couldn't answer that as a leader, it was a gut check of, well, if you're not able to answer those and you can't articulate your vision and you don't know where you're going to go and how you're going to get there, they shouldn't hire me. Right. Like, but I continued kind of back to the soccer playing with the college. I put myself in situations that maybe I wasn't ready for. Yeah. But you know what I learned from that was what the gap was that existed for me. I had a gap in my leadership that I needed to go fill. So out of one of the panelists, I asked them, I said, hey, look, you know, I didn't get the role, obviously. I would love, you gave me some feedback in writing, but would you mentor me? Mm. And then one of my best mentors up in Chicago, and I remember he just took me through like leadership. Here's how I would deal with that. I could call and I started to get some structure to my world. That was uh, another, I would call it again, a catalyst of I had a growth season because I started investing, right? And then I went out and got my own coach. So that was, that was a pivotal moment for me just to realize, and this is, Brian's the leader. Yeah. Nobody's going to like hand me over a playbook and go, here it is. You're, you're a wonderful leader now. It doesn't work that way. Well, I, I love the consistent theme though of the ownership piece, right? I mean, how many folks don't get the job and they say, oh, well, you know, that, that's their company's miss, right? Because we don't that's want right. to, you know, own up to the fact that, well, Maybe I wasn't ready for it, right? Maybe that wasn't something that I was supposed to get at this point. So that makes me think a little bit about what you talked about earlier as well. And, you know, hey, confidence is something that when I look back and I say, all right, well, how did I accomplish something? I can start driving confidence from that. I think for a lot of people, we take or put our confidence in the result that's happened, but we don't take the time to reflect on why the result happened, right? What, what was the effort I put in? Now for you, you've been able to excel at so many things. I think it would be easy to get your confidence wrapped up in accomplishments. But for you, how does Brian derive confidence today? And how did you start processing that opposed to being like, oh, I'm a really good soccer player. We know athletes struggle with that, right? Or top producers in a company. Well, no, I'm a top producer. And that's where the confidence comes from. And then all of a sudden that goes away. So talk about that for you. Yeah, there's there's a dichotomy to this. I think that exists for everybody is like, I'm very results oriented, highly competitive achiever person. And so to separate the two of that and realize that, that I'm also a product and service and on my own journey, getting better, how I evaluate it, I was actually talking to my coach this morning is some of the conversations I'm having now versus five or 10 years ago, I recognize very clearly I'm having better conversations. I'm more prepared. The outcome of the conversations are better. And so I can look and go, wow, I've grown in that very specific area. And so I know how to measure, not just from the results, mm-hmm. but we all know within, right? Like if we're honest with ourselves, we know if we've put the work in. And so my confidence comes from what I always tell is like, it was the off the field, off the training, extra work that I'm doing, the coach that I've hired, the books that I'm reading, the podcasts that I'm listening to, the networks that I've surrounded myself with. My confidence comes from trying new things 
and being okay that I'm not going to understand it. I'm going to have questions and actually showing up from a place of, I'm just here to learn, mm-hmm. right? And even investing in real estate this year, I spent a couple of years asking questions, making sure I understood that. And then I took some decisive action on that. And so my confidence really comes from anytime I've taken a decision, I look back and I'm like, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. So I've been let go from a job. I've had my positions eliminated. I've been cut from sports teams. I've you know, had a near-death car accident, right? Like I go through all this stuff. And for all of us, we have those. And we go, well, I didn't die. The world didn't come to an end. I was able to rebound. So you have some confidence that you can build from that. When you were laid off from a job or you didn't get the promotion or like in 2008, when pretty much all, we lost everything and had to start over. Hmm. I look back and go, if, I, if I'm aware of those, and some of us need to go back to those and it's a painful place and situations, but to look at how long did it take you to rebound? What were the common threads of how did you rebound? And I look at how can I, narrow the gap between did it take me a year to get back on my feet where I wanted or six months, Hmm. two years or a year. What I'm always trying to do is shorten that window of when I get knocked down, which does happen a lot. I just don't make a big deal of it because I'm like, you know what, how I respond matters. I'm not going to react out of emotion and get all worried because no matter what comes, even in this difficult market today, it's being cut. Like I was sharing the 50% of the mortgage is being done. I'm not going to panic. Yeah. My confidence comes from, I've been through this before. I'm confident that I'm going to do what's required. And I actually believe this too. I'm going to do more than what my competition's going to do. And the reason I know that is I wake up early and go work out. I build confidence. I show up for my family on a regular basis every day and every week. I'm going to build confidence because most people, their family life's a wreck. So their business is a wreck. I'm just going to call it what it is. I'm reading and listening to podcasts every day, every week, and filling my brain with quality, quality Mm. information, the people that I allow in my life to influence me, I've selected my scroll in my feed on Instagram or Facebook is highly curated to what I want. And I remove all the other. And so I look at that and just go, well, I should be confident from the standpoint of I'm doing all that I need to do to show up to win. Now, balance that, that dichotomy again of, I always think I can do more. (laughs) I guess. Yeah. That's, and I'll just admit to it. That is how I'm wired. And I've got a coach that he, he calls it the unrequired. Um, and I figured out in my day, I had to quantify the unrequired because there were days I would leave and I could have had an amazing day, right? Like hit all my sales goals, like everything's jiving, but I could still feel like I didn't do enough. Yeah. So my, my, if, you're, if that's you and you're like, dude, that is me, Brian, I get it. Well, what I started doing in the gym or at home or wherever, I kind of adopted the Ed Milet strategy of one more before it was popular. Yeah. And we talked about with our team, like, we're going to make one more sales call. I'm going to do one more face-to-face this week. I'm going to do one more one-on-one. I'm going to do one more rep in the gym. I'm going to do one more set in the gym, one more round. And I just kind of have built a life now where I'm running with my son yesterday. He's riding his bike and he tells me he's going to run a mile with me, right? So he's riding some and I'm running and he says he's going to run a mile. I said, Hey, how about we run out a mile and we run back a mile? We'll get one more in. Yeah. He does it. It's not so bad. He goes, you know what? Next time I think I could do one more. I go, yeah, you can. I go, but we did one more today. We accomplished that. And so you have to allow yourself to celebrate that small win for a few moments yep. and then realize, hey, you know what? The next day I got to show, I got to put the work in again. And that's helped me rewire. And I take things a day at a time. Every day I look at it as I'm showing up. This is the game today. And I've got to win today. 
and it was less overwhelming and less defeating when I'd have these feelings of I could do more. Well, of course you could do more. Like there's 24 hours in a day. Yep. Don't sleep. Don't do that. Yeah. Okay. Let's be real about how you're going to sustain long-term success. That's so good. You're going to want to rewind and repeat that, that segment there. That's good. So you now have this, uh, top podcast. And so talk a little bit about what was the anchor or sorry, not the anchor, but the catalyst to get you going on, uh, on a podcast. So it was part of right before everything kind of shut down in 2020 in March, I wanted to bring people on that. I felt like I had a cool network, had some good people. And originally the idea was I would have people come into the office because back then we were traveling, people would come into Nashville. I would just have cool people on real estate agents, you know, mortgage brokers, uh, musicians and all that. Well, that quickly changed to March which was actually in the moment, I'm like, oh crap, I built this studio. I got all this stuff. Well, here's what I realized, Phil, that was a blessing because I was able to get people on Zoom and on meetings. They would have never flown to Nashville and met with Brian. Like they didn't know who I was and I had a couple big breaks early. And so the design of it originally was not what it very quickly in about 60 or 90 days, which is another life lesson. You may start a business. You may think you're going this way on a project. You may make a change in your life and your health, your fitness, your mindset, whatever. 69 days in, you go, that isn't working. I got to go this way. Yeah. So what we did very quickly is we started scheduling Zoom calls and I reached out to my network. And amazingly, during that time, I took advantage of an opportunity that, by the way, everyone had. I was just willing to step into the game. And the design was, I wanted people to share how they have overcome adversity. Hmm. What were their tips and keys, kind of their combination to success? And so we went through that and that was what we built. And every guest, you know, what's cool is almost hundred episodes in, I look and go, man, that's a hundred. I never thought about it. That's a hundred people I've been able to talk to that have in a way coached and mentored me and shared their wisdom and their life experience, which again, where do I get confidence from sometimes? I mean, I've talked to a lot of people that are very successful and some are on the up and up, like on the rise. And I go, Man, they shared this with me. I implemented it. It worked. Yeah. Like that's that's life. So that was how the podcast was birthed. And we've we've taken off from there. And and I've really it's been more of a project of how do I just give back? It's not um obviously not something I've really set out to monetize or yeah. or any of that, but it's it's been cool because now I have content created, I'm getting coached and mentored, and I've built the awareness around my brand in the market where again, as a leader, how do you differentiate yourself? Not many leaders have the podcast in, in my industry yeah. with the people and, and what we're bringing, I believe, to the table. I love it. And you also have written a book. So talk a little bit about, you know, how that came to be and then a little premise of it. And that will be the, uh, you know, chomping at the bit that we should go buy the book. I love it. Well, I'll put, I'll, I'll do a little, little selfish plug there. Hey, right? there it is. There, Not selfish. Is. I brought it up. I brought it up. You so. brought it up. So I've got it there. <laughs> You know, what's cool is when you are in a creative space, you know, for me, sometimes walking, running, working out, I don't know what it is. Like my brain will just go, oh, idea, 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 almost like the squirrel. And I have to like voice memo it to keep track. Well, I'm talking to a friend one day about these episodes we've had on the podcast, right? I'm like, man, these are some amazing ones. People leaving reviews. They're hitting me up going, this really made a difference in my life. Yeah. And I thought, well, I also know some people in my life. Um, I'll include my parents and some other generations. They don't listen to podcasts. They love a book. Yeah. And so the idea, I just had it. I was like, well, what if we took those and condensed them down? That was a nice readable format. 
and take 11 of the best guests that people gave the feedback and they were diverse and all of that. And we did it in a written format. And so it was nice for me because I said, I'm going to do a book. So I wanted to stay and honor that commitment. And two, I wanted to add value in the marketplace. Like I didn't want a book that had been written or something. So I go, oh yeah, heard that, been there, you know, another hokey book. Yep. And then I thought three, those are really good episodes. What, what if we put them in written format? Maybe this could be a new trend and we could actually repeat this. And we probably will, by the way, now that we've got enough other episodes that I believe we could go out and this could actually be a rinse and repeat cycle for us. And yeah. funny the other day, one of our leaders sent me 40 books to sign and they're using that now to hand out on sales calls and to How impact cool. people in their community. Yeah. And I've had people buy hundreds of them for sales events and meetings and I'm going, I never, be, I never believed in the wildest. I thought my parents would buy it, right? Like <laughs> you and my friends. Um, so you never know. Again, life lessons are all around. Until you take that step, you never know what's going to happen on the other side. I love it. Brian, are there any other pivotal moments as you reflect back and think about, you know, who knew when that was happening that led to this? I love that you talked about, you know, the transition of, you know, 2008, but anything else that really stands out to you? Those are the big ones. Uh, I go back to the last career move I made. I had a leader that actually, if, if you all can relate to this, that I'd really put a lot of trust. Sometimes you put a lot of trust in a leader and all that, and they'll tell you things to do. But then when stuff hits the fan, they're like, oh no, that, that is all you. And they abandon mm. you, right? Like that leader. Yeah. Um, I hadn't experienced that in my career. That was a lesson and actually a catalyst for me to change even organizations because we just, we just didn't believe the same things and values and, and ownership and accountability. But it also was an insight into myself that I let myself become a victim to that circumstance. Mm. That was probably one of the biggest things because I was comfortable. I was making good money. I was in a great position. I really enjoyed all the people around me. It was the best way to describe it. I was comfortable. Yeah. Right. And I didn't know on the other side of that, that I would have to work hard, start over, Man, let me just tell you, our team back then, we were doing close to a billion dollars. It was awesome. I started back, for those of you listening, if, if you can wrap your head around this one, is I went all the way back down to 125 million a year, which by the way, basically means I was doing like 15%. Yeah. Um, we did over two and a half billion dollars within four years. Wow. And it's sustainable. We've got the road to 10 billion that we're on. Sometimes you're in a good situation, you're not in a great situation. Mm. And I believe that happened to me to open my eyes. And I look back and I go, take the people and the emotion aside. That was what I think you know, God was teaching me through that season was, hey, Brian, I got something bigger for you, but you got to uh -huh. let go of the good to go for great. And you probably have those things that come up and they're not going to come up every day, every month or every year. But when you have that, my encouragement to you would be, Take the risk and go for it. Bet on yourself, mm. build it the way you want to with the people you want to. And it is fun. It is so much fun when you get to do that. Cause now I go, I get to do this. Like, yeah. I don't have to do it. I get to do all this stuff. And it would never have happened had all that not happened the way that it did. Wow. Yeah. I think about that. And, you know, to your point, it's, I can, I can settle for something that's good. Right. But good is the enemy of great, because if I, if I'm okay with being good, I'm not going to push myself to try and become great. That's right, man. It happens. It happens. It does.
Absolutely. Well, Brian, I want to say thanks so much for your time today and just sharing your story and the pivotal moments. And I mean, I just think back to it, being a younger brother myself, I can relate with having that five-year age gap. And it's like, there's a lot of things that uh, just get ingrained in that head from, you know, four or five, six years old that end up being a good thing later on in life, if you can uh, make the connections. But I'm excited to continue to follow your journey and, uh, you know, I have to have you back on in probably a year or two as you just continue to do great things and uh, highlight all the pivotal moments that have happened since. Let's do it. I'm sure I will have more lessons and things that played out well. And then those that they left another lesson that I can share and help somebody else out. I love it.